There are many ways to celebrate Christmas. The songs, the decorations, the lights, and the trees. But sooner or later, the lights come down, the wrapping paper is tossed out, and the toys get broken. If Christmas isn't about Christ, you're missing everything. There is a light in the darkness. His name is Jesus, the light of the world. That light is a treasure of Christmas. Don't miss the true gift that never fades. Jesus, the light has come. Hey, welcome to Calvary. Whether you are joining us online or at one of the gatherings, we are so glad that you're here. We're on week number one of our Advent series, The Light Has Come, and we've already gone through a lot to get here, right? I mean, it's week one, but we've already journeyed through the six days of pre-Christmas, Can't have Christmas without them, right? It starts with Thanksgiving because a moment of gratitude makes us feel better before we dive into the buying and getting. Thanksgiving leads to Black Friday. Did you know that the shopping day after Thanksgiving was first called Black Friday in Philadelphia in 1961? (laughs) Another reason to love Philadelphia, that in the airport. So so the six days of pre-Christmas are Thanksgiving, Black Friday, followed by Small Business Saturday, which leads to Sofa Sunday. I thought at some point I'd made that one up, but I didn't. It's actually one of the busiest busiest online shopping days of the year because no one, including Amazon, actually waits for Cyber Monday. And and then after all the money is gone, it's Giving Tuesday, which, oh my goodness, just a, a short pause. Calvary, on Giving Tuesday, you, you just amaze me. We, we had a $35,000 matching gift to kick off our 1% offering, but we had permission to raise that to $45,000 matching gift. And you went and exceeded all of that with the match. $149,616 has already been given towards our 270,000 1% goal. Man, way to go. In any case, we made it through the six days of pre-Christmas. Christmas music is now legal. Trees are getting trimmed. Lights are getting strong. Pretty soon, Lynn will be making cinnamon rolls. And of course, Hallmark Christmas movies started in October. And yes, I will watch at least one, and I'll probably cry. So welcome to the six days of pre-Christmas. Here's the thing. We all love a good story. But those six days will in no way prepare you for the depth of the true Christmas story. There's a light in the darkness. In the darkness of our world, there is a light, and his name is Jesus. He is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the King of the kingdom and the Savior of your soul, the light of life. He's not just prominent, he's preeminent. He's not just sufficient, he's sovereign. Not just someone, he's, he's one of a kind. More than a bright spot in a bit of darkness, he is the light of a dark world. And here's what I know, this Christmas... Like every Christmas for 2,000 plus years, we find ourselves in the midst of the ongoing battle between darkness and light. It's a Christmas battle. Actually, you could make a really good case from Scripture that the first Christmas is best described as a battle. John gives us a glimpse of Christmas through the eyes of heaven. Just, just close your eyes for a moment and imagine it as I read Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. John writes, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. And she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. 
He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and caught up to God and to his throne, and then there was war in heaven. I mean, you'd miss it if you weren't looking for it, right? John is, John is telling the Christmas story. None of the usual elements, no shepherd's stables or swaddling claws, no silent holy night. This is the story behind our story, the iceberg beneath the tip. Instead of a young woman named Mary from Nazareth, we have this awe-inspiring vision of a, a pregnant woman clothed with the sun, 12 stars on her head like a diamond tiara, huge with child. This is Mary, but, but more. This is the church, the, the mother of Christ and the bride of Christ merged into one, pregnant with the Messiah, ready to give birth to the light of the world, the light of life. But as she groans and pushes in expectancy, a, a dragon rends the stillness and the gaping jaws of an enormous seven-headed red dragon, ready to devour the baby, snuff out the light, this is no sully from Monsters, Inc., warm-hearted under a fearful appearance. The, the horns and the crown symbolize great destructive power and authority. John clearly identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. And then there was war in heaven. See, Christmas is a, a cosmic invasion in the epic battle between God and evil, between the kingdoms of this world and, and the kingdom of our Lord, between darkness and light. And when you, when you picture it that way, suddenly some of those Christmas stories make a lot more sense. It wasn't a choir of angels singing. It was the battle cry of the armies of heaven. Glory to God in the heavens. Herod was a king protecting his kingdom. Bethlehem babies were casualties of war. And don't be surprised when bad things happen to good people. It's war. When days of darkness just descend upon your spirit, don't... Don't be so discouraged. It's battle. When conflict comes, don't be caught off guard. It's the enemy's strategy to divide and conquer. If you struggle to remember a good Christmas memory, don't forget it's a celebration that our enemy loves to hate and hates to remember. And as much as we try to cover it with the wrappings of cuddly wonder, that first Christmas was a military strike against the world's first and foremost terrorist. One of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart. Mel Gibson's movie on the life of the Scottish warrior poet William Wallace. Wallace was a hero who touched the heart of many in real life, including Robert the Bruce, the Scottish noble who betrayed Wallace. But, but in reality, after Wallace's execution, he rose up to lead Scotland to freedom. Shortly before his death in 1329, Robert the Bruce, now king of Scotland, requested that when he died, his heart be removed from his body and taken on a crusade by a worthy knight. James Douglas, one of his best friends, was at his bedside and took on that responsibility. So the heart of the king was embalmed and placed in a small container that Douglas carried around his neck. He, he carried the heart of his king into every battle that he fought until the early spring of 1330. In an ill-fated battle that year, Douglas found himself surrounded, and death seemed both certain and soon. And in that moment, Douglas reached for the heart strapped around his neck, threw it deep into the enemy's ranks, and cried out to his men, Fight for the heart of your king. Forward, brave heart. I will follow my king's heart or die. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's closer to the true reality of Christmas than most of our ho-ho-ho, silent night, gifts around the tree versions of Christmas. 
Christmas is more than a be merry holiday. It's an epic battle in the ongoing war between darkness and light. And he's not just a bad baby. He, the, the king has come. <laughs> so fight for the heart of your king. You know, I, I love the iconic manger images of little baby Jesus, but I got to be honest, it's full-grown Jesus with whom I want to be side by side. It's the one who stilled the storm and fed the crowd and healed the outcasts and noticed those in the margins of life. It's the one who could gather a crowd but loved you face-to-face, one-on-one. It's the one who riled up the religious leaders, confused the political leaders, and scared the hell out of Satan. It's the one who loved his enemies all the way to the cross. And it's, it's his eyes that I want to look into. I want to be shoulder to shoulder with him. I want his hand to be gripping mine. His steps I want to follow. Grown-up Jesus, not little baby. A king worthy of my life. This is the grown-up Jesus that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, envisioned when he announced that nevertheless has come. (laughs) The world of Christ The world that Christ was born into was a world dominated by darkness and evil. The entire country was under the spell of Rome, and her spell was quite simple. It would always be winter, but never Christmas. And really, in a way, that was Isaiah's story as well. Isaiah lived in a time of darkness, and he cried out, How long, O Lord, will this continue? And God said in chapter 6 of Isaiah, Until the cities are laid waste, and the land is utterly deserted, full of distress and darkness and fearful gloom. But then chapter (laughs) 9... Chapter 9 of Isaiah begins with a word that contains a symphony of grace that is possible only because of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. The word is nevertheless. This is, this is the but of God. We've talked about that before. Nevertheless. No matter how deep the despair, how dark the circumstances, or how violent the injustice, no matter what you've done, where you've gone, or what's been done to you, no matter how long you've wandered in the shadowlands, I'm telling you, if there's a shadow, there's a light. Listen to his words in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah the prophet writes, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, it'll be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. And nevertheless has come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Darkness and despair was and still is. Nevertheless, it will not always be. What did Isaiah see as he gazed upon that first Christmas? He saw darkness and despair. He saw people walking in darkness, people living in a land of deep darkness. Christ came into a world that was saturated with violence, the heartache of places like poverty-stricken Nazareth and violence-ridden Bethlehem. Christ comes into a world filled with injustice and violence and darkness and despair and grief and loss, and he shines. Oh, how he shines, the light of life. Darkness and despair was and is. Nevertheless, it will not always be. Jesus was born into a time of of darkness, extreme poverty in a country ruled by brutal tyrants who did not value life, a world where your friends 
would most likely starve or hang on a cross. He grew up in a world where the poor were neglected and the only people who had good news were the rich and the powerful. He was born in a world where the dark just kept getting darker and it's still there. I know it. You know it. The darkness. We, we still live in the midst of darkness and despair. We still have people. Sometimes whole nations of people living in darkness. From an epidemic of loneliness to the rise of anxiety, from the despair that comes from a broken relationship, loss of a loved one, to the darkness of depression, from the grief of loss to the injustice of racism and so much violence, Sandy Hook, Uvalde, Columbine, Gaza and Israel, Ukraine and Russia, Iran and and everybody, the coup in Myanmar, it's still there. The darkness, the war in heaven continues. Some of you have felt its touch, just like the days when Jesus was born. It's a a world where darkness is routine. So what can we do? Fight for the heart of your king. Fight for the heart of your king. Listen, it's it's not enough to tell people. It's not enough to tell your family members, your loved ones, your neighbors, your your coworkers. It's not enough to tell people that it's going to get better and then do nothing. It's not like... Jesus to tell people they just shouldn't feel anxious or discouraged and then do nothing. Sometimes thoughts and prayers need to be followed by sacrifice and action. The king calls us to something deeper. He calls us to be light in the darkness. He calls us to fight for his heart with all our heart. He calls us to be the first people to cross the lines that divide us. He calls us to weep with those who weep and love everyone from our neighbors to our enemies to our enemies who are our neighbors. Did you hear maybe that a recent study found that State College is the drunkest city in America based on frequency, amount, and binge drinking, student population, stress, and anxiety are three of the primary reasons given. See, every time you go out of your way to pray for, befriend, reach out to a next generation, Penn State student, high school student, somebody filled with stress and anxiety, you're fighting for the heart of your king. When you prayer walk your neighborhood or a local school campus, you're fighting for the heart of your king. Young man Job Dinan came to live at Agape Orphanage in Myanmar, where we we do so much there. He, He came to live there in 2009 after his dad had died. Your giving to the 1% offering made it possible for him to graduate from high school. And then you, Calvary, as you gave, you supported him through three years of study at the school. We helped to start International Calvary Theological Seminary. He, he graduated in 2016 and went as a missionary to the small remote village of Sami in the Chin State. It, it's less than 1% Christian at that time. That year, Job and another missionary held an outreach camp and, and over 100 people from Sami accepted Christ. If he were here, Job would tell you that when you gave to the 1% offering, you were fighting for the heart of your king, light against darkness. That same 1% offering helped us pack 140,000 meals and 30,000 seed packets for global refugees to be delivered with the love of Jesus. It it helped us get 250 gift cards so local families could have a Thanksgiving meal. When when you give and, and when you serve those without a home at out of the cold and without a meal through common food, you're, you're pressing against the darkness and you're fighting for the heart of your king. I, I get some great emails. 
I was going back through, I remember one from a lady at one of our gatherings who, who wrote this email to me. She said, I've, I've battled depression, anxiety, abuse, heartbreak, and suicidal thoughts. I've, I've searched for love in all the wrong places and forced relationships that I knew weren't good. But then God led her to Calvary. She writes, I surrendered my life to God and he's literally turned my life upside down. See, when we launched that new gathering, we were fighting for the heart of our king. A woman who first connected with us as a Penn State University student is in Morocco right now trying to adopt the infant of a young lady whose life is such that she just cannot care for her daughter. And so many of you foster and adopt and support those who do. And when you do, you are so fighting for the heart of your king. You're a light in the darkness. I've been praying for mom at Calvary going through what she calls one of the worst years of my life. So many difficult things she's walking through, the greatest of which is the possibility of losing her son to an addiction. She's in a battle not just for her son, but for the heart of her king. Every time you pray for your prodigal son or daughter, every time you you go reach out with a soft heart, you jump back in, you're fighting for the heart of your king. Listen, no matter what darkness you're going through, it'll pass. In the end, light wins. But meanwhile, the king of light calls us to join him. He's asking, who will fight for my heart? What will it take to bring Christmas to the darkest of places? It'll take people who are willing to fight for his heart, people who believe that darkness is actually on its way out. I can't tell you how long it'll take, but I can tell you that the darkness cannot extinguish the light, and that light brings life. Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, blood-stained by war, will all be burned. See, even slavery and oppression are broken when we fight for the heart of our king. It reminds me a little bit of Mary's song. It it was the world's first Christmas song, a song of subversive hope in the battle against slavery and oppression. And and every time I hear the song, Mary, did you know? I I remember Mary's song, and I think, oh, she knew. We we call her song the Magnificent, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. It says, my, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on my humble state, humble yet blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has scattered the proud, brought down the mighty and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped us in remembrance of his mercy. It's a, it's a battle song. And you know, if there was anyone who fought for the heart of her king, it was Mary. She goes toe-to-toe with Herod the Great, lives as a refugee in Egypt, takes her kids to Capernaum to rescue Jesus from death threats. She followed Jesus all the way to the cross, not just as a mother, but as a follower, a disciple, even after the others ran from the battle, her, her song, the Magnificent, shines on a Christmas filled with a, a longing for, Jesus, for justice and, and the courage to fight for the heart of our king. <laughs> when my kids were little, I, I used to sing to them. Some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, we've already heard how you love to scare your kids when they were little, but, but this was different. I had three songs 
when they were little and I was holding them. Three songs I would sing over and over again until they were quiet. One was Jesus Loves the Little Children, All the Children of the World. That would lead into the Gaither song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And from there into His Name is Wonderful, His Name is Wonderful, His Name is Wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. And if that didn't get them to sleep, I started in on, I'm going to give you to your mom if you don't go to sleep now. I just, I love thinking about Mary holding Jesus, singing Him her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. He who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name. Scattered the proud and brought down the mighty. Exalting the humble, he's filled the hungry with good things. See, Mary had a song. And sometimes I wonder if God the Father chose Mary for a song. I wonder if God looked down through time and space and said, that's the song I want my son to grow up with. Moms and dads never lose sight of how important the songs are that you sing to your kids. How important the phrases and the words and the languages that you repeat over and over again. And I wonder how often after Mary sang Jesus a song, did she tell him the stories? Remember Jesus? (laughs) When the angel came and told me about you, I was so afraid. And I said to the angel, how can this be? And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. With God, nothing is impossible. This God who is mighty and has done great things for the poor and the humble, nothing is impossible with him. And as Jesus lived with a deep faith in his nothing is impossible, Father God, when he, when he loved with a soul-bursting compassion for those in the margins of life, when, when he went after injustice with bold courage and deep hope, I mean, where did he get all that? I mean, don't you suppose that at least in part he got it from the song of his mother? And do you understand every time Mary sang her song, she was, she was fighting for the heart of her king. So what if this Christmas we were to put all our heart into fighting for the heart of our king? I mean, what if every time you buy a gift or hear Christmas carol, wherever it is, radio, store, home, what what if every time you see Christmas lights or someone wishes you a Merry Christmas, when you walk past a, a sentimental nativity set or open presents under the tree, what if we were in all those moments remembered to listen, reminded to listen for the echo of the call Come fight for the heart of your king. And what if every time we find ways to be kind to the weary or pray for the discouraged this month or serve those in need or or battle against injustice or give generously even to the 1% offering or forgive those who hurt us, we're answering the call of his heart. And if we do that, I really believe this is for us today. If we do that, Here's his Christmas promise, a Christmas promise. Isaiah writes these well-known, well-worn, wondrous Christmas words of light in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, when he says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. His passionate commitment will make this happen. His passionate commitment will make this happen. It's a bit difficult to know if it's the passionate commitment of the Lord or the passionate commitment of the armies of the Lord. I I think it's both. Those who fight for the heart of their king begin to develop a passionate commitment to the king. But 
I think perhaps even more. In Isaiah's vision, it's, it's the passionate commitment of the king for you. His passion is for you. He, he is jealous for you to experience all the blessings of heaven. The child was born to us. The child was given to us. What an, what an amazing gift. Can you imagine anything greater? You are the object of God's passionate commitment. In other words, the heart of the king fights for you. He wants to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God. He wants to be your everlasting father, your prince of peace. He came for you. He shines his light in your darkness. It's not just global. His kingdom is personal over you, in you, all around you. You are his passion. A child was born and a son was given, but the king remains forever and the heart of your king is fighting for you. Uh, let me share one more email, one more story. I got this email last week from someone who was a, at Calvary as a Penn State student. She, she writes, I, I started attending Calvary when I was in college. I was saved when I was 20. You baptized me when I was 21. This was like two decades ago. <laughs> My husband and I, she said, moved from State College to Tennessee two days after our wedding, and, and we've been there ever since. I, I've watched miracle and blessing occur in my life over and over during the past two decades. My, my husband was saved at a Franklin Graham revival. I survived two brain surgeries. We had our son in 2009, and I've watched how God has moved in his life. There are too many blessings, she said, and, and miracles to list. God is amazing. Unfortunately, she said, I, I felt very far away from him for a very long time. We've attended several churches since moving here, and honestly, I've never found a church home like the one I had at Calvary. My, my husband and I have experienced church hurt and struggled to find a church home for so long. I've struggled connecting and feeling at home. More importantly, I felt lost and angry. I wasn't growing spiritually, and the large churches that we attended seemed to be more focused on numbers than people. I love people, and knowing there was a literal chart on how to grow numbers bothered me so much that I stopped going, I stopped serving. And then one day I found Calvary online and I watched your first teaching on gritty blessings. I know God led me there. I haven't cried like that in a long time, she said. I, I realized how far away I had stepped from God and my relationship with him. And I, I've watched several of the messages on grit and I've begun to feel like I did once again when I was first saved so long ago. My prayer life has been renewed. I pray with purpose every day. Thank you, she said. Listen, this is so important. Do you know why that happened? It happened because the heart of the king was fighting for her. Just like he's fighting for you. He's passionately committed to your good. The heart of the king is for you. That's why Christ came. That's why he went to the cross. Christ is for you. And there's nothing greater than Christ. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. With all my heart, I love Christmas. I love the songs and the, the decorations. I love the star. I don't even mind the Hallmark movies. I, I love the lights and the trees. I'm, I'm telling you, Lynn turns our little cabin into a place of wonder and glory. But sooner or later, the lights come down and the wrapping paper is tossed out and the toys get broken. Don't miss the true gift. Christ is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Savior, the head of the church, the King of the kingdom, the light of the world, and his heart is so for you. So don't quit. In the midst of the darkness, don't quit. Go out and fight for his heart. In the end, light wins, darkness loses, and his heart is still for you.
Let me pray. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you that that when we're in the shadow lands, we can be reminded that if there's a shadow, there's a light. Jesus, thank you for your light. Thank you for the light of the world, the light of life that, that gives us the opportunity and the ability to be the light of the world. And God, I pray for each of us listening to this, that we would make a commitment in this season and the seasons to come, that we would fight for the heart of our King, that, that we would encourage it and hope would grow in us knowing that, <laughs> that your heart is for us that the heart of the king fights for us. We're grateful. I pray that this Christmas our eyes would be open to the battle of light against darkness and that we would join in the battle and in little ways and big ways and in so many different varieties of ways, but that we would intentionally, consciously join you in the, the battle for light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.